Welcome to episode 41 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, a podcast about all things CNC. I'm Winston Moy, and I'm joined by my co-host, singular today, Eddie Kramer. We're hobby machinists, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop and topics in making. And today, Eddie, we still have the third chair pulled up, don't we? We sure do. We have a, a guest tonight, Sammy Wolheiser from Avid CNC. Happy to have you with us tonight, Sammy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I met you at, in Portland um, at the Autodesk Fusion 360 Academy in 2019, but you're actually based out of Portland, is that correct? Right, that's right. So I'm based out of Portland, and I also work for Avon CNC, which is based in North Bend, which is outside of Seattle, but I'm the only Oregon employee, which is super nice. Um, Portland is my home and um, where I've kind of grown up in my maker community here. I got the impression, you know, my short time in Portland, the few days I was here, that was my first visit. But uh, I would say that is a very maker-dense city. <laughs> <laughs> you could say that for sure. Um, yeah, I've been in Portland for about five years now, a little over five years. And Portland has a very diverse maker history here where we have, you know, lots of woodworkers and maker spaces and... Um, lots of folks in different practices, you know, metalworking in the trades. Oregon is very focused on bringing the trades into uh, our society and on a small local level in small businesses, uh, which is a really amazing thing. I've only worked for small businesses um, here in Oregon. It's uh, kind of a real DIY culture there, right? Absolutely. You know, like food carts, you know, you got to build your... Uh, way up from the ground, whether you're building a food cart or you're building your own small business, you know, if it's your hobby hobby or your livelihood, um, it's really definitely part of the culture, which is really refreshing um, to be around uh, this society that's really supporting that. I can see Portland staying in the maker community for a long time and really establishing a sustainable community for the makers because Oftentimes, yeah, makers and artists get pushed out of cities. And here in Portland, I can really see the different um, people of all fields, yeah, supporting lots of creative types and it really integrating that into the culture. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of uh, like makerspaces and art studios um, just in the small area I walked in uh, around the the conference area. It was like every, seems like every other block was uh, at least a gallery or like a wood, wood shop. I think Winston pointed out a couple to me that they visited, he and Chris had visited uh, before I flew in, uh, furniture makers, stuff like that. So that's really, really interesting community. I hope to go back. I don't know where Autodesk is going to host the next uh, Fusion 360 Academy. I'm hoping it's in Portland. I may know a thing or two about that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was one of my favorite conferences last year for sure. It was definitely worth it. So if anybody's listening to this, you know, is interested in learning more about CNC and design and talking to people who are really making things on a daily basis or a weekly basis, I'd say that was the best, you know, bang for your buck, really um, amazing to get some one-on-one -on -one time with Fusion support. You know, I got to meet so many amazing people and I got to have several meals with you guys there, which was awesome. Got to meet Adam Savage. Uh, that was just an amazing um, 
event, and I'm really looking forward to it again. Yeah, I think it was last year was the best fifty bucks I spent. <laughs> we got the we got <laughs> yeah. the early bird uh, sign up fee special. Yeah, that was great. There's no way that could have even covered food, but that was a truly amazing event. Yeah, I'm guessing it won't be fifty dollars this year, <laughs> but because uh, <laughs> I know they sold out, so it was, it was their inaugural event, right? I don't think they really were sure how well it was going to uh, be received, but I think uh, we exceeded their expectations. Hopefully. Um, so, Sammy, how did you kind of get started? And well, let me back up a little bit. So, for I think for Avid, what is your title there? I know you work on a lot of their content, but I don't know if that's just a side effect of what you're doing, or is that kind of your primary role there? Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I wear a lot of hats, but I am basically the media and creative producer. So I do basically what Winston does, um, which is a very specifically unique job, and. It's honestly the best job I've ever had. And I love it because I get to spend time in the shop filming uh, different projects and teaching about CNC. I'm learning a lot about videography, which is a medium that I never worked in before. Um, and I, I do help with a lot of the creative aspects of things, such as, you know, doing things like, you know, helping out with graphic design and things like with the website and that kind of thing. You kind of answered my next question, which is you didn't come into this from a media production background. It sounds like you were, you brought the maker skills and added the video and content creation kind of later. So how did you get your start in general in, in artistic or craft type interests? Sure. Yeah, I studied sculpture originally with a focus in digital fabrication. I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design in Georgia. Um, I'm originally from the Silicon Valley, though, so I kind of grew up in, you know, uh, Apple, Google, Facebook upbringing, you know, early mid 90s there, uh, which was, you know, big tech um, is where I'm originally from. So I think that's kind of where the digital fabrication inspiration comes from. Um, and then studying sculpture, I worked in woodworking, bronze casting, mold making, um, all sorts of mediums. So that's what I love about making in general, is that the word maker is so accommodating to people of different skill levels, whether you're really new to the practice or you're a professional, and also is inclusive of so many different kinds of mediums. Um, for example, you know, as I don't like to just pick one medium, um, so I like to work in lots of different things. So when I moved to Portland about five years ago, I got a job working at a makerspace. I became a CNC technician, uh, running a big four by eight machine there. We made lots of things like tap handles for local breweries, signs for businesses, restaurant build outs, that sort of thing. I moved my way up to digital fabrication project manager, and then I later managed that fabrication department, which was, you know, one of the best times in my life where I got to learn all about making and different processes, but really hone my skills on three-axis machining. Um, and I also taught woodworking and CNC classes at the Makerspace, which is where I met Avid CNC they had a machine at the space there. So that's the machine that I taught classes on. So that's kind of how I got introduced to Avid. Okay. And are you still, so at Avid, um, primarily a manufacturer of CNC machines, but it looks like you guys are, or at least based on your Instagram, you're always showing 
something being made. I don't know if that's happening at Avid or if you're visiting customer sites, but it always looks like uh, interesting projects going on there. Right. Avid is a maker of CNC machines, and we have very modular designs, which is something that I love. Um, I oftentimes post on the Avid Instagram where we um, are making project videos and that sort of thing. But I do love to repost, you know, our customers and different content partners projects just because it's so amazing to see what everyone's been able to do with our machines. I'm constantly amazed about the different ways people are using our machine. You know, I'll watch something like uh, videos from Frank Howarth, which he uses the CNC so in such creative ways, ways that I would never have thought, you know, or I'll um, at Fusion Academy, I met this uh, gentleman um, who was 3D scanning people's faces and profiles and then machining parts to make molds and um, silicone parts for burn victims, which was so interesting to me. So I'm always like really inspired by the different um, ways people are using to machine stone or just in a really traditional cabinet making. So those are the kinds of things I, I like to post about because we are a really big educator in CNC. Many, many of our customers are first time CNC users or, you know, they might have had a, a desktop machine first. And your machines or the Avid machines are big, <laughs> definitely big. <laughs> they can be. They can be, certainly. We do have a, a bench top line for um, also. At Fusion Academy, you guys who just started, uh, I don't know if you were, if it was released yet, but you were showing me some video of a, you have like a fourth axis attachment for the router, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we um yeah, and around that time too, we also rebranded. So I guess I didn't say that earlier. Um we were formerly CNC router parts. So that might ring a bell for a lot of folks who've been in the CNC world for a little while. Um and last year we did release our rotary fourth axis, which nice thing about the rotary is that you can mount it on a benchtop machine or you can mount it on one of the larger format machines. You can put it lengthwise on the Y gantry, which would probably sit on top of the bed because of the uh, cross members in the machine, the way the frame is structured. But you can also lower it into the frame along the X axis so you can get a larger diameter piece. Um, but it can, it's pretty beefy and you can cut quite um, large pieces of material depending on your configuration. Yeah, it sounds like perfect for making like a bedpost or something or banister. Right. A large house talk. So, Winston, I'm hogging all the questions here. Do you have any uh, anything you want to ask? So, rather selfishly, I'm kind of curious about like specifically the fourth axis, but not the technical aspects of it, but sort of more of where you see yourself fitting into Avid. Um, do you sort of like your role as a content creator is also sort of um, educating people, um, informing them how to install the the accessories and whatnot. Um, is do you feel like you have a lot of the burden of teaching people how to use these things, or is there like other documentation from like headquarters that people refer to? How much of this is on you to make sure that people are able to use the machine to its full uh, capabilities? Yeah, that's a really great question because I think 
you know, you and I have very similar roles where you're creating content that's supporting a lot of folks. And I think back to my own learning style where I am a very visual learner. So videos are excellent. And while we have really amazing text-based documentation for how to build a machine and how to uh, install different softwares that we um, we carry. Um, I do uh, feel like I am a bridge between our engineering department and our support, um, our sales and support team. So I get to help and uh, be a part of a lot of the different departments at Avid. So I get to work with engineering to kind of create more advanced, interesting projects where we're designing, um, you know, a, a more complex part in Fusion for Rotary, which is something that's going to help folks learn how to set up the fourth axis and actually program it because they think that's something that we don't have uh, enough uh, support for. But it's something that I want to make sure that the uh, customers have access to. Um, you know, because everyone needs different types of uh, learning documentation. But yeah, I do um, have a long, long list of videos to make. Um, so it's, it's, I'm excited about it. And I definitely um, have different priorities about what kinds of videos I think are, are more important to make first. You know, for example, something I'm working on right now is an intro to plasma CNC video. I We don't have that uh, video documentation out there just yet. We only have um, the text-based. Um, and then also I will mention that one really great asset that I appreciate about Avid is that we have an excellent support team. So anyone who purchase a, purchases a machine can call and uh, or email you know, before they purchase the machine, ask as many questions about, you know, their shop needs, or after they purchase, um, or after they purchase a machine, they can uh, continue to have uh, support for setting up. If they run into any software issues, you know, there's there's a there's a a team of four or five folks who are you know, working full time to help our customers and support them. So kind of an application engineer role? Is that the... Yeah, absolutely. So we have uh, a couple engineers or, uh, you know, CNC technicians who are on the support team. Um, and then also they have the full support of the engineering team if things get a little bit more complicated. Out of curiosity, um, are... Would you say that a large fraction of the people at Avid are like makers at heart or do they sort of uh, just work with CNC during the day and go home and have completely different hobbies? Because I feel like I'm surrounded by not a whole lot of makers um, and like I'm the only one who will go home at the end of a day and keep working on a CNC. Yeah, that's a good question. Um so I would say many of them really are makers at heart. You know, uh, several folks have a machine at home in their basement or their garage. Um, 
Corey, uh, one of my coworkers, uh, he's on manages uh, sales and support team. He um, is always sending me things, uh, photos and stuff of what he's making. Um, you know, really interesting topographical maps. You know, whatever is really interesting him at the time. And um, I'm always really impressed to see what the team's been working on. Well, you know, I've been away, and then I come and visit North Bend every month or so, and see what they've been building. It's pretty cool. What Winston really wants to hear is that they all have Shapeocos at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also have access to a bunch of fun machines. That, so. I'm more just jealous that you can you can go into uh, headquarters and sort of just nerd out about projects with people because I can't usually have like deep conversations about like the technical aspects of a project with uh, the people I work with. Oh, well, you can just call me, so we can talk <laughs> talk CNC and projects all day. Um, well, I do try to surround myself by uh, makers all the time. Um, we, well, you're uh, fortunate to work in a place that's that's filled with inspiration, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So you got to come visit my shop last December, which was super fun that you got to stop by um, and check out my studio. Um, it's a small uh, studio called 9020. And has about 10 studios. I share a wood shop and a metal shop uh, where I have my machine set up. Uh, we have two big CNC machines in the wood shop with a spindle setup. And I have a 4x4 plasma CNC in the metal shop, which is cool. But there are folks who are working in metal smithing and jewelry or hand planes and fine woodworking you know, to really techie Arduino, you know, um, diverse, a super diverse group of folks. So I'm always surrounded by someone who's an expert in something that I'm not. And um, I'm always learning, which is, you know, one of my goals, always be learning. Yeah, so that is an awesome just amount of capability in like a relatively modest square footage. Um, are there any sort of other areas outside of CNC that you're personally interested interested in or like working towards learning more about? Yeah, I mean, for me, CNC is a part of the larger ecosystem. I use every tool in the woodshop every day. You know, I'll use my hand plane and the saw stop and the joiner. You know, I try to keep my personal practice really diverse you know, I know that not all of our customers necessarily have access to all of these different things, but, you know, you do have access to, you know, the simpler form of these tools, you know, a handsaw and that sort of thing. So I really do believe in having a diverse practice. Um, I've recently been taking a metal smithing class and a ceramics class, which is things that I never really worked in, small metal smithing. I, I did more large format welding and um, that kind of thing in school. So I tried to uh, be a little bit more diverse. But recently, my personal practice, I've been interested in making funky, weird furniture. Um, so hopefully, we'll see some of that come uh, really manifest this year. Nice. That's pretty fantastic. Um, I, I would say bringing in just other disciplines into CNC makes like it opens up so many doors in terms of types of projects you can make. Because there, there's only so many like plywood projects you can do before you run out of ideas. Uh, recently I've been trying to play around with uh, epoxy and like that opens up so many options for ways to integrate it into a project. It could be an inlay, 
It could be joining multiple pieces together. Uh, so yeah, I definitely appreciate just having multiple disciplines like complementing CNC. Right. I, I absolutely agree with that because I think oftentimes when you're trying to force a certain material into a, uh, to be a solution for a project, it doesn't always work out quite as well as it should have. When you can look at the problem you're trying to solve and evaluate how would it be best to achieve it and then select the right material for the problem that you're trying to solve. And that that's the best solution really. So, you know, creating your project, designing kind of the concept of what you want to make, and then choosing materials that will best fit um, is something I really, really believe in. Not every tool is a hammer, and not every project <laughs> is a CNC project, as much as I try and treat it as such. Your educational background, I guess it was fine arts and sculpting, is that correct? Right, yeah, definitely. I think that I bring a little bit of that um, creative flair to... Um, the AVID team, it's really awesome to get to work with the engineering team and uh, really utilize their strong skill sets. And I really like that we both can recognize, um, you know, that we don't know more than each other. We just know different things. And I feel oftentimes that creativity and um, the kind of aesthetic, strong aesthetic background that I bring um, can help balance out, you know, different technical ways that they have and bring to approach, um, you know, projects that we're working on. It's four-man function, right? Absolutely. So, Winston, have you, um, I'm trying to think what you were working on with the epoxy. Was that? Uh, this... That was, um, I was making some catch-all trays um, because I, I really didn't want to make a tabletop of some sort. Uh, Total Boat sent me a couple, couple uh, samples of their product, so um, it, it was good timing because I've seen a lot of people uh, just doing resin projects and kind of wanting to get into that, but I just didn't want to follow the um, like the the things that have been done to death. So no river tables, no resin <laughs> art pours, and I was it took me like weeks to come up with a good way to integrate that with CNC. Because um, what I see a lot of is like people will uh, cut a sign or cut a logo and then just fill it with epoxy, which is a totally valid thing to do. But from a, a technical execution standpoint, there's really not a lot of fun to be had in doing that, right? Because you can cut some fine details and we all know epoxy is a liquid and it will flow into all the cracks and it'll define whatever you want it to be in your piece. And I was trying to figure out how could I... Um, create some some sort of interesting interface between the epoxy and the wood substrate. And I ended up um, sort of machining a tray where the bottom is epoxy and my logo is um, embedded in the epoxy. Because I kind of like the idea of uh, the wood floating being held in place by the epoxy. And I, I machined it from the bottom so that I could sort of... Um, the interface between the epoxy and the wooden uh, lip of the tray uh, wouldn't be flat. So it sort of follows a curve. So when you look at this tray from the side, um, the um, epoxy is going to sort of look like it's it's flowing around the edges, sort of like a little waveform. Um, mm -hmm. And 
yeah, so it's it's really just me trying to find a way to integrate CNC into an epoxy project because Total Boot sent me some stuff um, and do it in a way that isn't just like straight 2D machining mega pocket right, or epoxy. Right, super traditional, you've seen it, yeah. So I was just trying to give myself a challenge and find a, a way to use the material that did it justice. I also didn't want to just pour epoxy for the sake of like pouring epoxy because it's it's not exactly cheap. So when people do tables where it's like, oh, we have like, it's going to be 20% wood and like 80% epoxy, to me, that just, it's, it's not a smart use of the material you have at your disposal. Hey, Sammy, I wanted to ask you, like, what's your typical workflow when you just, you know, when you just kind of sit down and start something new? Do you typically jump right into like CAD, like Fusion and model what you're going to make? Or do you do more like a paper drawing or like what's kind of your, your approach to creative? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a sketchbook person. Um, so I have sketchbooks filled with ideas and weird furniture drawings. And right now I definitely like to start with a sketchbook drawing and then work my way into uh, designing in CAD. When I'm doing something in Fusion, I've been finding that I find it easier to start with a really rough model that kind of helps me figure out exactly what the form is rather than trying to model it perfectly how it's going to be manufactured. And so I'll make one version where it kind of gets me close to the visual place I want to be. And then I'll create another design that is inspired by that one, but more with the exact intention of how I'm going to make it. So I guess that goes back to the point where you know, I, I want to really flush out the idea of what I'm making and then figure out how I'm going to make it. Um, I know this isn't everyone's process, but I definitely um, kind of work better that way. And then I then I kind of, you know, do a lot of prototyping and plywood and that kind of thing first. I think the last two or three weeks, I've kind of been what I consider a modeling slash design writer or design block. <laughs> so I've been lucky because mm-hmm. I've had uh, some commercial work to kind of keep me busy. So I didn't right. have to design as, but, um, but yeah, I typically go like right into fusion and start sketching. But I think that's like, that's hard to do unless you have pretty firm idea what you want to make. Um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm looking for input like that to see if maybe there's an earlier step I should be exploring. Right. That's like yeah. a little less intrusive into the design process. Um, yeah. Okay. That's good feedback. Yeah, no, I definitely get kind of blank page syndrome when you just kind of like have the cursor flashing at you when you're opening a new design in Fusion and you don't really know where you're going to start. So for me, I'll just, um, if I don't know what I'm going to be making that day, like yesterday I went to the shop and I was only had a half day. I said, I'm going to finish something, anything, even if it's small. Um, and I just flipped through the sketchbook, picked out something that I had drawn, you know, just really thumbnailed a uh, quickly kind of napkin sketch. Um, and it was something accomplishable within the boundaries that I had set, which was the timeline, the scrap material I had lying around. So that's kind of the workflow I really enjoy. I will chime in and say that even as a resolute engineer with just the, <laughs> the faintest idea of how art works, I prefer starting in a, a notebook or a sketch pad um, because it's just easier to, to run through a bunch of different permutations of your idea. Uh, even just like the the 
outline or the general shape of it, it's easier to change with a few pen strokes than it is to go in and try and define line segments in Fusion. Absolutely. Even just sketching it out, like, and having an idea of the shape, it, it sort of informs how you would model it, right? Do you uh, maybe just, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll just model out a huge chunk of material and slowly, like, carve it away in a subtractive sense, or sometimes I'll just build up, um, like, small elements of it. Um, so it really depends on what your your preconceived notion of this project is um, that will inform your modeling style. And for that, I, I kind of need to have a, a visual idea of what it is, at least roughly, uh, defined before I fire up Fusion. Having the sketches helps inform what CAD program I'll be using. Um, so I don't necessarily just start with the program because it's uh, right there. You know, Fusion and a lot of our customers also use VCarve and Aspire. So those, I think, are really parallel software products. They don't necessarily compete with each other because they do different things well. So that's also something that the sketching design process helps me um, make that decision. So I don't necessarily waste too much time in one or the other. So I used to carry a book around with me, a small notebook and just sketch stuff when I had ideas when I was even near my shop, right? That, that was a habit I kind of fell out of a few years ago, actually when I started doing CNC and started playing around with little <laughs> cats. So that, that's actually a good idea because a lot of times like you may have an idea and you're not in front of your machine, you're not anywhere near a computer, but just a little, you know, pen and paper drawing might or pencil might be all you need to jog your memory later or help you with another idea. So it's always good just put everything down when you think of it and maybe nothing comes of it. Maybe something does later. So yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. And it's a relatively small investment to have, you know, like do a quick 30 second sketch, you know, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. It's not like two hours of modeling. Um, and I take my sketchbook with me everywhere. You know, it's like if I happen to be sitting in a coffee shop and there's a really cool chair there that I want to kind of capture or be inspired by, you know, I, I'm always inspired by things around me and I like to draw on those, you know, different design choices people have made or really cool engineering solutions, you know? So I think that's, yeah, definitely. I, something I encourage everyone to integrate into their practice. If only Portland had coffee shops. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I definitely say there's like a coffee shop, a bike shop, some sort of maker, you know, maker space, whether it's like a, you know, a small business or something and a dispensary on every block. So um, not to put you on the spot, but what do you think, like, what's the coolest thing you've seen going on in Portland as far as like maker, artist, or maybe even a maker oh, space gosh. out there? Like some yeah. crazy stuff going on out there? Yeah. So um, it's been really interesting to see the maker community ebb and flow over the last five years. Um, the makerspace I was working out of for four years closed, and it was at the same time that another makerspace closed, which was at the same time that this was earlier, you know, before last summer. Um, Oregon College of Art and Craft also closed, which was, uh, was a, a pretty big tragedy because, you know, there's all of these really amazing hubs for makers to go to and be involved in, whether it was, you know, a membership-based type of um, 
makerspace or whether it was a studio rental, but I have definitely seen, you know, um, spaces pop up from the ashes, you know, for example, uh, our studio, 9020 Studios, um, it's really amazing because I get to now, I get to uh, meet and hang out with and learn from people of different makerspace communities and different art communities. So it's, I'm seeing a lot more blending there now. Yeah, what else? I um, am really excited. There's a bunch of different groups, you know, collectives that I've seen pop up and, you know, they rent in, you know, warehouse districts and that sort of thing. One of my favorite that you might be interested in is called the Trash Hackers Collective. And these are a group of um, makers who are really all about recycled plastic, you know, developing um, a shredder that can create 3D printing filament, really pushing the bounds on cre uh, collecting data about safe uh, plastic cutting, whether it's laser cutting and uh, or CNC, you know, a lot of that plastic information is very proprietary because it's a newer material. It's so protected by um, copyright and um, all sorts of, you know, big corporations. Yeah, so all secret. of that information, right, exactly. So they're really working on trying to make that information accessible to the public um, and collecting the data so that plastics can be safely used in schools and maker spaces and that sort of, you know, community spaces. Um, and the other space I will also mention is the, um, Rockler Library. It's a really amazing uh, makerspace that has, uh, it's really directed towards kids, um, but they do have old adult open hours. And um, I think they're doing really cool things in the community. Good. We'll make sure we get both of those in our show notes. And uh, speaking of show notes, I also want to, uh, we probably didn't mention this earlier when we introduced Sammy, but Sammy has a pretty active, a uh, couple of active Instagram accounts. Uh, of course, there's at AvidCNC and then some of your personal projects show up on at go Sammy Lee, G O S A M I L E E. And we'll have, we'll make sure we put those Instagram links in the show notes too. Yeah. Super. And before we get too far away though, um, you also, uh, I don't know if you do or someone else does, but like you guys have a digital fabrication meetup, right? Right. Uh, so I organized the Portland digital fabrication meetup, um, which I try to put on, um, and I do this in collaboration with uh, Krenna Harper, who is on the Fusion support team. Um, and so we do a lot of meetups at places like Autodesk in Portland, and they're, which is a really amazing place to host talks and lectures, whether it's an artist talk, you know, somebody who's using things like projection mapping or 3D printing, you know, whatever in their practice. Um, or some, um, you know, Autodesk engineer gives a talk about the history of G-code. So I like to try to keep our events super diverse so we can do things like shop tours where we go um, check out uh, really cool spaces in town where somebody has um, a machine running, whether it's a small business or a, a larger business that's really been around for a while and integrated uh whether it's 3D printing or CNC and laser into their uh, practice. One of the spaces I'm really excited that we're going to check out, uh, I think next month, um, is called Form. Um, and they have uh, really amazing machines that they do, projects for air and space. They do um, lots of fine art 
foundry, bronze-casted type sculptures. As many fabrication shops in Portland um, are supported by jobs from, you know, typical Nike and Adidas projects. But I really like that they integrate all the different traditional sculpture processes with really modern digital fabrication techniques as well. Yeah, that's very cool. That's the PDX digital fabrication meetup, right? And we can we can put a link there too. Yeah, I've got that one. Perfect. Yeah, that was one of the things I saw when I was in Portland. It was like, wow, <laughs> it's like so much going on there. Yeah, and there's, you know, there are like a 3D printing meetup, a CNC meetup, um, which I enjoyed both of those. But what I found was that they didn't really have too much diversity um, in terms of at least field diversity representation. So with the, our meetup, our goal is really to bring together a lot of people from different fields, you know, so we can have, an, you know, architects and engineers and designers and artists kind of all integrating into the same space, which really, I think, helps collaboration thrive. You know, somebody walks in and says, oh, hi, like, nice to meet you. Um, I'm really interested in injection molding. And then I say, oh, hey, like, uh, there's this guy over here who does uh, makes yoga joes and he knows all about that let me introduce you you know so i think that is uh one of the other goals of of the meetup and kind of why i wanted to keep it more um vague in terms of process because i think that um that helps attract a lot of different types of people yeah that makes sense and um i think uh you know you just mixing all those different talents together something creative is going to come out of that in the end. So that's always a good way to do that, I think. Yeah, no, it's been really fun. All right, Winston, you got and, any more? I'm just, go ahead, Sammy. Oh, no, no, it's okay. Uh, I, I was going to make a comment about how jealous I was that you guys have that. Uh, we sort of have something like that here because Matter Hackers is just down the road and they'll throw events every now and then. But it's, it's all very biased towards 3D printing. Um, so just having an open forum where like anything digital fabrication goes would be super refreshing to see down here. Well, it sounds like you're going to have to organize it. <laughs> yeah, make it happen, right? Uh, not, not sure I'm up for that. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't complain too much because Austin, Austin's got a lot going on and that's not far for me. So, I mean, not far is a relative term for yeah. a Texan. <laughs> <laughs> So, Sammy, what are you working on these days? You got any big project in the works or oh, something shoot. fun yeah. going on? One ventures? The... Oh, yeah. Well, it's going to be a very busy six months for me because I have a lot of conferences coming up, which I'm stoked about. Winston, I heard you got your ticket for WorkbenchCon. Um, I did. At the end of the day, I was just like, when else are you going to see this many makers in one place? Right, exactly. Yeah, so I'm stoked. That'll be super fun. It's my first time to work BenchCon. Um, obviously, we're all super sad that uh, Maker Fair wasn't happening. So we you know, kind of had to pick and choose a few different places to go. Um, so I'm looking forward to that next month. Um, I will also be traveling to uh, LA for a project. I'll be coming to uh, the UK for 
Maker Central, which will be awesome. We're doing some collaborations with uh, Tim Sway and Vectric. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and that should be fun. Right. And then, yeah, no, it will be. Are you guys thinking about going to that or? I don't think we'll be there in an official capacity, but I will be there meandering and, and shaking hands, kissing babies and <laughs> otherwise uh, representing the brand C &C and myself. Babies? Yeah. Yes. Which that would be D the DFX brand, right? Not Carbite. <laughs> get your priorities straight there. <laughs> I mean, I will probably be handing out more DFX stickers than Carbite 3D stickers. So, yes. Very cool. Do you, so, Sammy, do you get to events like uh, the bigger Autodesk conference, AU Autodesk University? We have been pretty involved in uh, past AUs. We missed the one last year. We did the um, uh, two years ago, I believe. We made these um, really sweet Bluetooth speakers on the factory floor. Um, so that was a little while ago. I was before I was on the Avid team. Um, but I'm hoping that we're going to be involved on um, uh, for Fusion Academy and potentially for AU again uh, this year. Um, How about uh, IMTS? Is that one of your all's regular uh, shows? No, that one's not currently in the rotation, but we're definitely considering different um, markets, you know, kind of where we want to, uh, you know, reach out to because we are trying to create different uh, configurations for different makers, you know, so we have machines that are uh, already designed for, say, you're a cabinet maker, or say you want the Frank Howarth build, or the machine on Tested, which has like the dual Z-axis, you know, with the plasma and spindle setup, you know, so really um, trying to figure out exactly, you know, who are the types of people who need our machines, which are, it's a very diverse field, which is awesome, because our machines are really um, modular and you can create all sorts of configurations to fit your shop needs. So I think you'll see us at a, at a fairly diverse, uh, list of, uh, different events. Um, Fusion, yeah, Fusion Academy, I'm looking forward to in June. And then, um, in, I believe September is Vectric user group in San Diego. So that'll be really cool too. I just want to make sure there's no conflict with uh, maker summer school and if I should apply there. Yeah, tell me about that program. That sounds really interesting. Um, so do you recall um, Spring Make last year? It was hosted by Lincoln Electric, and uh, they had a bunch of high-profile makers there. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it, like, it was shortly after WorkbenchCon, so a lot of people were like, what the heck, there's like two events, like are they competing or something? And so that sort of spun off into its own thing where... Um, I think one of the guys uh, who used to be with Lincoln decided to partner with a bunch of um, educational institutions and sort of double down on the fact that this would be an event to learn like hard skills, like blacksmithing, like woodworking, um, instead of like more the the soft skills like uh, presentation, social media, and all those other like internet things. Um, so they seem to have uh, or at least in the past year, they've done a, a really strong curriculum on like, you can take like a, a blacksmithing track, a metalworking class. Um, and so those kinds of things kind of intrigue me. And uh, I'm kind of tempted to maybe throw my hat in as an instructor, uh, and maybe put in a pitch to like teach like Fusion 360, uh, specifically for CAD cam type stuff and see if maybe they want to 
add that into their uh, curriculum because I think that's a area where a lot of makers they sort of shy away from and I kind of want to just be like hey like fusion cam like it's not that scary and it's a totally yeah. legit um like area that could complement what you're doing yeah awesome I definitely uh, think that you should apply at least you know have it as an option it seems like a really fun opportunity and um, I like the overlapping of different trades and um, that's awesome that sounds like fun hey Winston what else oh go ahead I was just asking what what you got going on in the shop this week I was gonna ask you the same thing yeah so I all I've got going on and uh, I just had a couple of uh, commercial projects I'm trying to kind of move beyond quoting and get to work on. Um, yeah, I really just have, other than that, I just haven't actually run the machine this week, which is kind of depressing. <laughs> I saw. And unfortunately, you're still pulling ahead in the uh, Instagram race. <laughs> I've been trying to keep you within 3,000, but uh, I think you're just inching ahead. Yeah, so I think like next week will be, I'll be living in Fusion, working on, I have a couple, like got to finish up some of my product stuff. And get those out for prototyping and then then get the other the couple of jobs done for some other clients and then then it's like my new machine should be getting here. So it's like you know time is running out. I think uh probably two more weeks, right? What's today? Do they have a uh predicted delivery date? Yeah, yet? around the week of the seventeenth is when we're expecting the last piece. Now what I don't know is if everything's coming here on that date or if they're gonna I need to ask them if they're gonna kind of do the final assembly of the power, like the, the single phase in New Hampshire and then ship everything here. So it might be the week after, but uh, don't know yet. I will know in a couple of days. Cool. That's Touch awesome. Super exciting. Yeah. So Sammy, I ordered a new machine. I just, yeah, I've been waiting for it. Oh, uh, I've been, I've been staying in tune about it. Getting all the weekly, monthly updates, you know, <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Well, let me know when you get it running, because uh, Chris and I will book our plane tickets and uh, meet you over there. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, we'll have some fun making. We'll come up with something to make. I'm sure you guys will bring some I projects. I already know what I'm going to make. So I'm uh, <laughs> going to make some drink coasters on a Neo. <laughs> hey, Sammy, did you have anything else you wanted to kind of mention before we close out? Sure. Um, let's see. Um, I know I got distracted when you asked me what I was working on. Um I've been working on designing my studio space and trying to figure out my home studio space. And I kind of stole this concept from uh, Lynn from Darbin Ovar. I don't know if you follow her channel, but um, she's um, a maker and really amazing a woodworker. But she has this concept of a maker space within your house. So you have your kitchen, you have your living room, and you have your maker space. So that's like a room in the house. Um, which I'm fortunate enough to have uh, a space where I can, you know, do built-ins and that sort of thing. So I've been, um, as I've kind of mentioned, I like to do lots of different processes, but I've always struggled with, like, I've tried to com compartmentalize different processes. So I have my, um, you know, electronics over here. I have my sewing over here. I have my woodworking and hand tools over here. So I'm trying to figure out a way to bring all those together and, you know, have an office half of the space where I can have my video editing set up, but I can also um, have a really sweet workbench um, where I can pull down my soldering kit or I can pull down my 
um, sewing machine and have everything kind of built in and integrated, but also um, be able to put away each, you know, a bin of each different kind of process, but still have them accessible. So that's something I'm hoping to to work on in the next few months, too. Well, as a person who has their workshop in the spare bedroom, I think that's the way to go. <laughs> no yeah. and also, I had no idea you were uh, also into electronics. So I got to I got to ask you, what do you what do you think about um, the latest update diffusion with the, the Eagle features showing up in there? Yeah, so awesome. Um, I was just, uh, Karenna was um, showing me some really sweet things. She's been working on playing with it. Um, and I'm stoked to get my hands on it. I have uh, um, not too much experience with that, but I'm, I'm excited to try it out. Yeah, it looks neat. I, I think, you know, there's, they still have Eagle out there. You can use full-blown Eagle, but um, like some, a subset of that functionality is now in Fusion. I think it's going to keep growing, but it looks like I haven't tested it yet. I just watched the video. I, I think it was an update for me. I, I saw it two days ago, but I think it's been out for like five days. But um, yeah, it looks like you can actually, like if you're sketching your board, the outline of your board it ends up as a sketch in Fusion. It's like, oh, wow, so it's para fully parametric. It's like, I'm excited about that. So Yeah, no, it'll be, it's awesome. Uh, they've been keep integrating really amazing features. So um you know, that's something I always love to see kind of what companies are working on. That was one of my favorite things at Fusion Academy where they said and shared, you know, their uh, Fusion goals and they're going to update, you know, things like fourth axis and rotary capability. And then they, you know, come out, keep continuing to um, upgrade and improve. You know, that's something we always try to work on and uh, create a very, you know, modular machine where we can, um, it's backwards compatible. So anyone who has a machine will always be able to add on uh, new accessories that come out and, you know, the continued development of a product I think is so important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't strand your existing users, right? It's, it's good to have it, but software, at, you know, like fusion, I, mm -hmm. it just gets better every download. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Same thing with the hardware. Yeah. That's a good, a good strategy. So Winston, I think I'm, out of questions. I don't know if you have any last things you want to ask before we wrap up. Uh, no, I'm pretty good here. Okay. Well, Sammy, I really appreciate you joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. See ya. Good night. Bye.